Hey, so uh, someone said to me the other day, uh, there's no way Quentin really wrote that. What? Well, no, he farmed it. So much he farmed it out to someone. I was like, look, I read the fucking thing. Uh-huh. Quentin Tarantino wrote this book. Mm-hmm. So just, would you just, for anyone who thinks that there's a possibility that uh-huh. you, you wrote it, it seemed to me, out of uh, a total sense of joy yeah. and fun, right? Yeah, well, I totally wrote who would think i wouldn't write it all right because people think in the old days you know these kind of pulp novels uh, that yeah, maybe yeah. somebody so uh-huh. yeah it's like uh, um yeah well i mean it's true that like spielberg didn't write the close encounters but... you even said that when you were interviewed by yeah, fantasy yeah. and, and right, chris yeah. and, so... you know, and george lucas did not write you know the star wars one well, uh, I, I think this is why yeah yeah but may sam fuller that. obviously did write the big red one <laughs> novelization but, you know, those guys aren't known as writers. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, why would I even monkey around with this unless I was going to write it? <laughs> yeah. No, and, 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 and um, three lines. I'm too much of an ego, I'm too much of an egomaniac not to write it. <laughs> well, yeah, because who are you going to trust so many people yeah. imitate you badly? Who are you going to fucking trust yeah, uh, to right. write something under your own name? No, right? there was actually, there was a moment actually where um, after Django, I thought, and I still think this, um, that um, Django would make a really good hero in a series of like pulp paperback novels. Right. And so we got in touch with a book publisher and then they got in touch with some writers and they sent me back little storylines that I could have commissioned. You could have had someone do it. Yeah, I could have had somebody do it. And then like, and even then in the case of Django, I was like reading and going, yeah, I hear what they're saying, and that's okay. But they don't under they don't they don't know enough about this. They don't understand enough about that. And ultimately, I just didn't feel okay licensing the character out to be done uh, as a bunch of paperbacks. Like, like, like if I really want to do that, I'll do that. Yeah. Well, like even um, when you talked about how you might take someone else's work mm-hmm. and maybe adapt it. Yeah. Yeah. And do a novelization. I, I, I I've got to find the right kind of story that would really ring my bell uh but like if i if i figure out what that movie is that'll be a really exciting project and to me the the reason the the way i would do it is like i, I mentioned before that my favorite uh, uh writer of novelizations is this guy john minahan. minahan yeah and one of the things about him that make makes the work so good is he usually tells the story from a first person perspective right so it would be so the trick would be to find a movie that i know well enough that i like well enough that would actually offer a different view into the story if you just told it from a first person perspective. Yeah. Right. And like so like the other day I was thinking about uh, me, me and me and a buddy of mine were watching Runaway Train and I go, "What about Runaway Train?" All right, you tell the maybe you could you tell the story from uh, uh, from Eric Roberts' perspective, from Duke's perspective. I go, no, I don't want to write about all the prison shit. But I don't want to write. I don't want to have to write about the train yard. I don't want to have to keep describing the train all the fucking time. You know, but 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 that's the idea. The idea is to find I mean, a cool I, movie like that. My that I, my want to read. My pitch to you is Rollerball. Uh-huh. Really, Rollerball, because Rollerball you could do. Jonathan's first-person perspective, but you could then, in a very, the way you shift perspectives, you could also tell it from one of the fucking... The corporate the corporate, corporate, guys the corporate president guy, the John Houseman Yeah, characters. and then you could flash to the Japanese guy's perspective. Well, look, now here's an interesting thing about this. It's funny you say this about Rollerball, because uh, I'm going to say something controversial. 
Don't say you McTier. Do not. Go no, 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 no. I'm not going to say that. Okay, right? fine. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I had not seen Rollerball until two weeks ago. I'm. I am. I don't even know how to. Pro- I, okay. I cannot process what you're telling me. And I didn't finish it. I really enjoyed it, but something happened. I it just happened to be on, and I taped it uh, on cable. All right, I uh, DVR'd it on cable, and then I go, hey, well, hey, now's the time, and I'm looking at 70s stuff and whatever. Here, and I saw the first half, and if, if I hadn't gotten a phone call, I would have watched the whole damn thing. But I still yes. have to watch the second half. Uh, oh. But there's a reason. Okay, here's the thing. There's a reason why I kind of avoided Rollerball to some degree. Tell me. As great as the movie looked in the in the TV spots and yes. all that kind of stuff, it got really bad reviews at the time. And the thing about the reviews is they talked about what they emphasized was just how pretentious the movie was. That it was just really, really, really pretentious. Oh, it wasn't about the violence? I as a boy, wait, we yeah. were kids, so I thought it was no, more actually, about no, the... Most people complained there wasn't enough violence That's in funny. it. I didn't know right. that. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Because I had to like, really convince and fight my parents to go yeah, see it. Yeah, they, but that, you know, that there's not enough rollerball scenes, and then there's and they're not violent enough. And so, uh, and there also was this aspect that okay, Death Race 2000 was made in order to, because they knew they had a dystopian future uh, uh, sport movie coming out, and so then Roger Corman put Death Race 2000 into production, and then. Death Race 2000 is the classic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's the yeah. one everyone really likes. I've seen that six times. And sure, it's, yes, we, I can of course. the jokes. It's I actually, to this day, I think it's one of Stallone's best performances as Machine Gun Joe Turbo. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's the pretentious uh, 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 early 70s uh, dystopian, you know, Soylent Green kind of thing. So I'm like, well, well let's see now. Let's, let's watch it. So I sit down and I start watching it and... It wasn't as pretentious as I had heard. And not only that, though, it's the opening was fantastic. It was like that whole open, the whole game. Or it was, and it was went on for a Agreed. long time. It seemed like 15 minutes. Yeah. And it was a fucking great game. And then also just even the aspect that James Caan, he had that. I mean, you can imagine Jim Brown playing the part. You can imagine Burt Reynolds playing uh. the part. But he had that patina that. Joe Namath had when he appeared on talk shows all the time. The inner arrogance, that inner arrogance yeah, that, that inner, Jonathan has, that yeah. true thing of knowing he the way I like walk. A, he looked like a superstar athlete. Yes, man. And he carried himself like a superstar athlete. You got to finish it because okay, where will, it goes is not, it is not a pretentious movie. Okay, cool. When you see where it goes. Okay. I would love your real take and I can't believe you just watched it two weeks ago and I just brought it up. Yeah, that I can't perfect, believe that either. It's wild. Um, and the other one is when, when you and I took the plane ride together, mm-hmm. we talked about hard times, and I would say you would destroy that because there's three perspectives you could tell that. Movie yeah, yeah, from. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, right. Uh, the, you know, the, you know, well, that one already has a. That already. Who has, wrote it? I, I don't know. I just was given it to it as a gift from an, uh, a guy who interviewed me, and it looks like a really, uh, it looks like a really good paperback. Oh, I got to check that yeah. out. Uh-huh. You know, I uh, I will say, I, um. Someone said this the other day somewhere, but it's I'll true. do the driver just to give him a name. Sure, right. Yeah, there you go. From the driver. Kind of take the piss out of the whole thing. I'll give an entire backstory. I'll tell you I'll, exactly I'll, who the guy was. Hey, and to, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who the cop you got was. It. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> the player, Elizabeth Johnny. 
She's a uh, French actress. That's funny. No, you got to do like and and the 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 perspective of the bald uh, fighter who he. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can tell from that you know that yeah. guy's perspective. The, I mean, obviously. Struther Martin's the most fascinating. Well, that's, what was, well, that's what I was thinking. I, when you were saying the three perspectives, I was thinking Coburn, yeah. Struthers, and, and, yeah, and, and Struther Martin, yeah, uh-huh. and Struther Martin. It's yeah, yeah, incredible yeah, in uh-huh. that. Bronze, um, yeah, Cheney. Uh, uh, Ch- what, what was Coburn's name? Uh, it's Ch- Poe is oh, yeah. uh, Struther Martin's name. Yeah, I, um, I'll say uh, a lot of movies are going to be uh, said probably. Mm-hmm. They're they're not all movies. If you're listening to this, that you have to watch. If you're listening to this, you haven't watched Hard Times. It's really not a movie to miss. If you're a movie person, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to know that that movie. No, I would actually call it one of the best directorial debuts of the 70s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that movie it, uh, destroys me. Yeah, Walter yeah. Hill. Oh, it's fair. Oh, genius. But and, not only that, I think I, me- I mentioned at the uh, first, first draft awards, that was like the first script I had read. It wasn't the first script I read. I had read three other scripts before that. I'd read n- n- uh, the first scripts I ever read were, I, other, I mean, that were professionally done was uh, Norman Wex, the first original, uh, the first absolute movie script I read was Norman Wexler's script for Drum. The second script I read... Wexler wrote Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, and, and, and Joe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just people to know. One of the great dialogue writers of all time. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> it was funny. Um, the critic Peter Rayner yeah. was taking... Was, was taking the piss out of uh, Django Unchained in a review. And he actually said, look... I don't need because he Norman Wexler also wrote Mandingo. He goes, uh, I don't need to watch a remake of Mandingo that just has better dialogue. <laughs> and then I bumped into him, and I go, one, that's a funny line, but two, Norman Mandingo has great fucking Norman dialogue. Norman Wexler's a great dialogue and, and, writer. I mean, he's one of the great dialogue writers of all time. So if you're saying my dialogue is better than Mandingo and Norman Wexler, you're really you don't mean to, but you're really paying me a compliment. That's funny. He's trying to dig you, and you took the yeah. you took the, the the compliment out of it. But then the uh, uh, I read uh, uh, Walter Bernstein's script for uh, 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 Blood Brothers. Yeah. Blood Brothers. But the first script I ever read was the third one. The first script that I ever read that didn't read like a blueprint in order to make a movie. That actually the prose on the page seemed like it was meant for me. Like it was meant to be a reading experience. Was Hard Times. Was Hard Times. Yeah. Yeah. Hard Times was one of those bridge movies for me, which is my dad and I watched a lot of westerns and gangster films together. Mm. And I'm going to, I want to, and then Hard Times was one of the first movies that made me feel disturbed in the way that great Mm -hmm movies make you feel disturbed mm-hmm. because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Oh, really? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I, well, what did you think it was going to be? I thought it was going to be um, a fight picture. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know what I mean? I thought it was just going to be... But it is. Yeah, but it's... Yes, but it's about desperation and... Dep- it's... Mm-hmm. It, don't... Uh, it's, it, I, I think you're making a little too much of it. I mean, it's just big mythic kind yes. of thing. And it, it's, you know, it's... You don't think it's... um. About the depression, really, and you don't think it's about well, the yeah, cost? But, 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 but what people fa- are willing to do? Well, it's it's it, but it's a it's a fable version of 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 the depression in order to set its mythic character in motion. Yeah, but at twelve or yes, thirteen, when I watched the movie, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. it disturbed me. That's what I'm saying. It's one of the first ones that I was like, yeah. "This, the, you know why? Because when they got hit, it hurt." No, well, I'll go for that. Yeah, it uh-huh. hurt them. Yeah, uh-huh. They and it affected them, and also. He leaves because he was filling in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. the whole idea of a guy who uh-huh. literally was doing that to fill in the blanks, All right, yeah, uh-huh. and then leave, uh-huh. affected me. Oh, that's cool, man.
Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest is Quentin Tarantino. Um, and uh, Quentin, it means so much to me that you're here. You oh, know? it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Um, and we're going to talk about the novel, obviously, that you wrote, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I've been waiting to... You know, I got to just, and, and hey, I'm going to talk for just one second, but like, and if you're listening to this and you're like, shut up and let Quentin talk, <laughs> I just, it's fine, but get your own podcast and then you get Quentin <laughs> to show up and then you can let him talk because I just have to say something off the top and then I'm going to let you, let you talk, which is um, like, first of all, I want to talk about you, th- you and your career through the prism of the novel, because to me, mm-hmm. the novel is a window into the way you think about a lot of the process mm-hmm. of making television and movies mm-hmm. and and into the romance, mm-hmm. the romantic version mm-hmm. of it that you carry, obviously, you carry around with you uh, alongside the workmanlike yeah, yeah, yeah. part. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and if someone watches your work closely, they, they can't help but understand the way there's these resonances. Also, I'm not a journalist. I'm a, you know, a filmmaker. And I just have to, I have to say that um, basically... For for me, uh, I, like I said, uh, seeing Hard Times was like one of the first things. But basically, growing up, like I watched movies with my dad, gangsters and westerns, and then Harold Ramis and Stallone movies. Yeah, yeah, Wait, yeah woke yeah. me up to oh, this is my favorite thing to do is go to the movies. Right, yeah, yeah. Then I saw Spike Lee and Coen Brothers. I saw She's Got to Have It and Raising Arizona in college. Yeah, yeah, huh. and that changed me, and so made me like mm-hmm. interested in the way words were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used. And then Speed the Plow on Broadway, a girl took me to see it. And uh-huh. I was like, Hollywood people talk like that? Yeah. <laughs> but man. We wish. <laughs> but man. When, and I, I just, for people who've been listening to this podcast a long time, you, you, I think they know how much your work has meant to me. Uh, but you know, seeing Pulp Fiction changed something elemental in me. Like I'll never, this, I'll never forget like every fucking moment of that night. And this ties mm. into the book. Um, because... Like, I remember Amy and I went to see it the night it opened. I really liked Reservoir Dogs. What, what town were you in? New York City. Mm-hmm. I really liked Reservoir Dogs. It didn't change the whole world to me, but I uh-huh. loved You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah, I got to yeah, go yeah. see that guy's movie. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right on. When I saw Pulp Fiction sitting in that movie theater, and I, I've written about this, the world spun on its axis. Uh, it was a lightning bolt. I remember walking out in a lobby... Quentin and I ran into a dude named Sandy, a British dude. And this guy was like, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I wanted to fucking kill him. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm not kidding. You know, I wanted yeah, to punch yeah. him in the face. Uh-huh. I've never, I haven't hit anybody since I was 10 years old. Yeah, I want yeah, to punch yeah, yeah. him in the face. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, you liked it? You have no fucking idea <laughs> what you just saw and what it did to me. And like from that moment, it, it was like possible to me that mm-hmm. this could happen. Like, no, I can't just love movies. I have to be inside them. I have to uh-huh. do this. And you know, you did this. And um, I had the same, you know, for me, I say to people, at the moment that Uma drew the, the rectangle on screen, mm, uh-huh. I didn't know its antecedents. I didn't know anything except, yeah. holy shit, the movies can be anything. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, exactly. Movies yeah. can be anything. All right, yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, they can entertain you in right. any way that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And when that happened to me, uh-huh. um, and it happened with Bastards too, I, I want to, you know, those are things I would I would fight about. And, the book, as I read the novel, uh, it seems to me like written by a guy who wants to have like warriors-like fights about Jules and Jim and Antonioni. Mm-hmm. And 
I agree with one of those. I don't yeah. agree with the other one. Um, but why does this shit feel so elemental when there are more, like, supposedly important things to argue about? Like, mm-hmm. why do you think this shit is so important, foundational, to, to not just guys who end up making movies, like yeah. we we're lucky enough to, uh-huh. but to everybody? Like, what well, is it? I don't think I have a... I don't think I have an answer as good as that question is. Uh, um, you do. You know, it, it's... Um, well, it was interesting writing the book was... Let me just lay the groundwork of why I, yeah, I wrote it do. and then get into... Uh, uh, kind of try to tackle something, what you're saying. Is... And I've said this on a zillion things, but I almost kind of need to say it. What is... Um, I'll cut it out. Okay. No, not really. <laughs> uh, well, it's just I grew up reading novelizations when I was a kid. You know, you go into the 7-Eleven and there's the spinner rack with the comic books and there's the spinner rack with the paperbacks. And I think the first like adult books were like I spent the the, the three ninety five or the four ninety five and bought the book myself as a, as a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old and then took it and read it on my own were uh, movie novelizations. So, so, okay, but I'm going to stop because since you've said this before in a lot of places, and I uh-huh. agree, understand it. Uh-huh. So I was the kid taking the train into Manhattan uh-huh. to go to the mysterious bookstore mm-hmm. and buy Lawrence Block books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and Elmore Leonard well, books. Well, those movie novelizations led me to, led me to the Elmore Leonard books. And I know yeah. who I was as a 12-year-old and why I needed that. Mm-hmm. But who were you? Why did you? So... What was your life like at 12 that drove you to this stuff? I mean, you've only talked a little bit about this through all the interviews you've ever given. So, like, uh, uh. I've always wondered it. Like, most 12-year-olds aren't looking in the spinner rack Mm -hmm. for that. And and, and whether you had learning issues. Like, tell me. No, it's an an interesting thing. Look, actually, when I say they're the first adult books I ever read, I think they're the first adult books I ever bought for myself to read. I picked up a couple of different paperbacks that my my mom or my mom's roommates or something were reading. They were just like laying on the on, on the coffee table. They had finished it, and I picked it up. And I remember like she had a roommate that was like really into reading like cop stories, cop adventures, and everything. I really wanted to read something I could make into a movie, and because I'm making it into a movie my entire time I'm reading it. To this day, when I read a a, a book, I make it into a movie in my head. Right. Yeah. That started even at 10 years old. It's, yeah, I mean, from the very beginning. And you don't know why. No, nah, well, I, I guess I do, because I think in terms of movies. Right. <laughs> so I'm casting it, and I'm doing it. I, every time I even read a, just a regular novel, I have a notepad next this to me I where you. I write casting the uh, casting list for this character versus that character. And then even when I'm reading a book, just for an exercise of myself, I adapt it in my head. You know, I, oh, I, I wouldn't use this. I wouldn't use this. Oh, I would get this information. I would put it this way. You know. Yes. You know, I don't do that when I read Pauline Kale, but I do it when I read a story. <laughs> what were, what did the other, like, so a lot of this novel is about your own, these characters' perception of themselves, the way other people perceive them. So, and I have a lot of questions about that, but mm-hmm. what did the teachers and the other kids make of you at that period of time? In other words, did they know you were smart? Did they know you were creative? Were they scared of you? Did they think you were had uh, learning issues? Like what? Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're in your mind. Like what was that like for you, man? Well, and okay. I know this is boring Truffaut territory, but I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. It's not that Truffaut's movies are boring. They, they are. are. <laughs> no, it's not that. They're not though. 
this is where I disagree. I love Jules and Jim. Jules that and Jim is so that important literally to me. is my old girlfriend who studied for a professorship in English literature. That was her favorite line in the whole book. Of course. <laughs> Jules and Jim, I, I agree with you um, wrongly. So I'm sure I agree wrongly about Antonioni, but I love Jules and Jim. Okay. I watch it a thousand times. But uh, and I don't agree with you about the woman in it or anything. But no, but who were, but seriously, man, at that age, what, because a lot of people who listen to this are people who feel sometimes like outsiders and they want to be writers. Or well, look, they I was, are. Look, I was de- look, I was definitely, an, I was definitely an outsider in school. It was a situation where they knew, it's, it, it, as much as kids think this way. Yes. They knew I was hip as far as like I saw all these movies right. and I was and we all watched TV. We were all we all could were experts. Everyone on knew television. everything about kung fu, of course. Yeah, yeah, we were experts on television. We, I mean, there, there's no kid you 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 couldn't have told you chapter and verse of every show that they watched and liked, uh, and all the cartoons that they grew up with. But um, but I was allowed to. I was I had a hip patina because I was allowed to see R-rated movies that they could never even dream about And you would talk about that at school. Oh, yeah. Totally, I talked about it. And there was always usually about one or two other kids that their parents looked to see some stuff. And uh, But, you know, but I was just, like, existing on a completely different plane than they were. However, I was really bad at my studies in school. That's what I was going to ask you. And so I went through from third grade to at least sixth grade hmm. as officially known as the dumb kid in class. This is so important mm-hmm. because genius is appended to your name all the time <laughs> as a grown-up. Whether the- Which, by the way, because of that... Uh, because of living through my childhood, it always makes me chuckle a little bit. That's, when I, yeah. No, but this is really important because you've, you've, you haven't really talked about this mm-hmm. a lot. But now you have kids. Like, you know those labels... Mm-hmm. Like, I have to know, like, did you know you you were, because like, I had bad ADHD, so I wasn't labeled dumb, I was labeled lazy. Mm-hmm. They knew I was, they thought I was smart, yeah. but they were like, you're smart, you read for fun, mm-hmm. you you can rattle off all the shit that you care about, but why yeah. won't you read a fucking history book? You're lazy, uh-huh. you'll never amount to anything, right? So, and that made me question, well, am I... Well, my parents. So, how did it for you? What did it do? Well, my parents never said that, and the teachers never said that. Also, the teachers didn't label you dumb. No, no, not at all. They they knew I was they they knew I was really smart and I was really hip and I was actually from a much more adult place than most of the other kids, but it was a situation where I excelled at the things I cared about and I couldn't even do enough. To just barely squeak by <laughs> on the stuff I didn't care about. Now, the thing about it is when it came to school, there was very, 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 very little I cared about. I didn't want to be there. So the only two things that I responded to, and on those I got really good grades, yeah. was sort of English because that, that reading fell into that. I was reading at an adult level before a lot of the other – not every kid, but before a lot of the other kids. I I, I couldn't even read the white the, – the, the first time I read, I we bought some YA novels. Years before it was ever made into a movie, I got the S.E. Hinton book, Rumblefish. Oh, yeah. And, and I read and go, this is the worst fucking book I've ever read in my life. It was so badly written. As... Uh, as a 12-year-old, I could recognize how badly written oh, it I was. I love S.E. Hinton, and I love The Outsiders. The Outsiders I didn't say The Outsiders, I said Rumblefish. Yes. I don't imagine it much better written than the Rumblefish. But Rumblefish, I mean, is 
is an is an especially bad piece she of was, writing. She was seventeen when yeah, she wrote I, I, The Outsiders, I, 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 and like nineteen yeah. when she wrote Rumblefish. But yes, yeah. I mean, like you know, yeah. you don't get you don't get that many times where like a ten or eleven year old is giving literary critique. <laughs> oh no, of course. So you would say that you mean to your teachers? Yeah, I was just this is terrible. Fascinating. <laughs> right. So you had a you were you had a critical faculty. Absolutely. And, and you, I knew I knew what movies I liked and what movies I and, you know and 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 what movies I I, I didn't like, but. Uh, uh, did being labeled dumb make it hard socially with the kids, or you didn't? It didn't matter. Like, was yeah, I was ostr- I, I was, I was, I was marginalized. Oh, you were. Yeah, I was the dumb kid, you know. Uh, and so it was, it was only just the other kids. Okay, but the, but my point being though was when I was, I had lost it for a second. Thank you. Um, is anything involved with reading? I did good, and also I did good in history, because I'd seen a lot of movies, so I actually knew some of this. Right. And again, to me. Because they, uh, because I had a, a really nice teacher at a, at a young age, named, uh, um, b- both Mr. Simpson and Mr. Cody. They didn't, they didn't focus in on dates. They, they were about telling stories, you know. So, you know, when they told the story, you know, when when they taught the whole whole lesson of Cortez and Montezuma and the Aztecs. Wow, that was a great, fantastic historical movie that I've never seen. Somebody should make that. Right. <laughs> right. You would be swept away by that narrative. Absolutely. Start casting it in your head. Yeah. And you like, you know, Drake seeing the Pacific Ocean by climbing in the tree. You know, you know, all that stuff was just a really interesting story. So I excelled in that and then got D's and F's and everything else because I didn't even try. And, and then what happened around sixth or seventh grade where your status changed a little bit or did it? Uh, you said they thought you were well, dumb. Well, well, going, going to a new school usually has a palate cleansing experience. They don't know how dumb you are. Right. right? And, and, you, and unless you let them know. <laughs> right. And so you hid it. You're saying you tried to hide the academic deficiencies. Well, well, well again, well, by that point in time, by the, you know, look, by the, uh, uh, look, by the, look, by the sixth grade, math was a complete lost cause because I had stopped doing that. Years yeah, ago. of course. Yeah, you know, but by that point in time, I could I could get by a little bit more. Were you uh Were you ever worried about it? Like, were you ever wondering, in those a- ages, fuck, I don't know how to do what all the other people can do. Well, I mean, look, it was literally a situation where like my teachers had to come up with a whole different curriculum from me because I hadn't kept up with the class. Right. Wow. So I had different math problems than everybody else. Of course, I had different you did. English yeah. problems than everybody else. I mean, I, like I, I got to give it to my teacher, Mr. Simpson. I mean, like I mean, he devised an entire curriculum in a public school for me. Did, did you think? Because, but 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 not just because he thought I was worth it. He knew I was a smart kid, and he didn't let the and 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 uh, uh, and he always like like jumped on the other if if, if somebody else said Quentin's kind of dumb. All right. You know, he always jumped on them. Like, Quentin is reading on a level so far superior to you. He would say that in front of the whole class. That's awesome. Yeah. He is leading on an adult level, on my level. What's that guy's name? Uh, Mr. Uh, Larry Simpson. Larry Simpson. Well, that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Did you think you were dumb? Or did you know? What did you really, like, in the quiet moments, well, okay. what did you think? Look, I knew, look, I knew I wasn't dumb. All right. Yes. Uh, um, I knew... Uh, I knew I was drastically more sophisticated than every other kid in my class, except for maybe one other kid named Mike Gallo. I knew I was more sophisticated than all of them. I could tell them all about life. All right, they didn't understand about life. All right, I I, I understood stuff beyond this playground bullshit. Um, however, 
I had a lot of circumstantial evidence that would point to the fact that I was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> because there was a, okay, so look, it's easy to just say schoolwork because that's like a choice I've made not to follow down that right. road. But there was all these things I couldn't do Talk about that them. other kids could do. I didn't learn how to tell time for like years past the point where I should know how to tell time. I didn't know how to ride a bike years and years after the time that I, everybody else knew how to ride shoes? a bike. No, I could tie my shoes. Okay. I'm an idiot. Right, uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to find the line. <laughs> line of demarcation. Uh, yeah. And uh, 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 and I couldn't swim like uh, for a long uh, that wasn't so long all right but but the point being uh, yeah. you know you actually start having to think to yourself is there something wrong with me when these basic things like riding a bike and telling time that other people can do yes. all right and your peers can do and I'm just not capable of it right. I mean my god I mean parents today would probably flip out well, they would get you diagnosed today because yeah, yeah. you might have been like, I have a child who's got dyslexia. She's awesome now. Tell herself she's a great reader and all the rest of it. Uh-huh. I mean, you do you think you had some form of that of like dyslexia or something reverse? No, I think I, I think it was just fucking lazy. I think I tried to ride a bike and it was kind of hard and it didn't it, it didn't happen immediately. And so I just said, fuck it. And telling time too. Yeah, it was like a little hard. I, and I could kind of figure out, OK, this is the 30s and these are the o'clocks. Right. <laughs> you know, look, if it was six o'clock, I knew it was six o'clock. Sure. Right? It was. Did you, you can, so look to this day when the hands get on the second the second half of the clock I'm always okay wait a minute is this is this 4:30 or is this 3:30 right. I mean that's how, I mean right but I can see it's funny now because you're Quentin Tarantino yeah, yeah, but yeah. I can imagine it was like a little bit shaky when you're 14 well again like I said especially when it's these things that other kids just have no problem doing and then like and I'm lagging behind it just it helped build that scenario that there's something wrong with me and then did it worry you about your future prospects? Or did you say, well, I'm going to be a filmmaker or the novelist and it's not going to be an issue? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that much. No, I, I, I knew all this was just kid shit that ultimately didn't matter. You did. Yeah. So you would wonder, why am I like that? But then you would think, yeah, I wasn't, I'll I, I, fight I wasn't, through I wasn't it. projecting myself as adult, as an adult, because I knew I wasn't an adult, all right? You know, uh, uh, adult as opposed to an adult. Right? Uh, um, Oh, adult. Uh, adult. You knew you weren't a adult. Yeah, not 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 an adult. I knew, right. I, and I knew I wasn't going to be an adult dolt. Right. Oh, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did, even yeah. because you had these couple. No, it was just this is just kid shit. Eventually, I'll learn how to tell time. Eventually, I'll learn how to ride a bike. And eventually, I did. Yes. And eventually, all this schoolwork shit will go away. Well, circling. And eventually, it did. Right. Yes. Well, circling back to the. The thing you were you were building toward answering, which was, but you know, but here's here's the thing I think that'll be interesting to you though. All right, was uh, you could ask, as I help you, what to ask. Uh, you could okay. Well, when did that change for yes. you? All right. So okay. So we're saying all this is happening around eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. So what was happening around twelve, thirteen, fourteen? Me trying to write scripts, me trying to be a writer. All of a sudden, I started I started you know, uh, uh, pretending to write scripts. I think the first thing I, I started writing was like a, a ABC after school special. And uh, and then all of a sudden, once I started doing that, before my whole thing about movies was like writing cast lists with the names of imaginary right. movies or trying to draw posters. Like a produ- you were a producer before. Yeah, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. You know, it was like trying to like you know. 
trying to draw my version of the of the, of the uh, 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 Enter the Dragon poster or something like that. Yes. And um, and I knew my, just pages of just like so and so and so and so and and I wanted to be in the movies too. But then I had a, a my I was going to go by Quentin. I was, was going to change my name when I was I was going to be an actor. I was going to change my name to Robert Jerome. You know, and so it would be like Charles Bronson. Angie Dickinson and Robert Jerome in <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> three awesome. kicks to the head or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and um, uh, but then I started write. Then I started writing uh, uh, screenplay. I never finished anything, but I started writing screenplays or writing things in the screenplay format. And then all of a sudden, that's what I was doing in school. All the time. I was I always had my little scripts out, and uh, in between stuff, or even when I'm supposed to be doing other things, is writing my little scripts, and I was really surprised that by now I was in a different school and I wasn't dealing with teachers that were as sensitive, uh -huh. right? and I was a little surprised that they weren't looking at this as an academic thing, that this couldn't be turned into an academic. I relate thing. so heavy to this, man. You know, they looked at it as as a, a defiant act of rebellion that, you know, that I'm doing this as opposed to my schoolwork. And there was one moment they talked to my mom about it. And, and my mom was always had a hard time about uh, about my scholastic uh, uh, non-abilities. And um, she was bitching at me about something or other about that. And then uh, in the middle of her little tirade, you know, she said, Oh, and by the way, this little writing career, <laughs> all right, with the finger quotes, uh, this little writing career that you're doing, that shit is fucking over. Oh, my God. Uh, no, she just meant don't do it in fucking class, all right? You know, uh, um, when you're supposed to be doing something else. And when she said that to me in that sarcastic way, I was in my head and I go, okay, lady. <laughs> When I become a successful writer, you will never see penny one <laughs> from my success. There'll be no house for you. <laughs> yeah. There's no uh, no vacation for you. No Elvis Cadillac for mommy. You get nothing because you said that. <laughs> and did you did you stick to that? Yeah, yeah. I helped her out of the jam with the IRS, but no house. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no house. No Cadillac. No house. <laughs> Oh, I, I think you should do. You should do that. Is she still? Is she still alive? She's still alive. Oh, buy her a fucking house. Come no, on, man. man. No, the air quotes. No, because that guy. No, that probably drove you to prove it, man. It's time to do the house. But uh, get there the are house. consequences for your words. Get the house. So I had. As you deal with your children, remember there are consequences for your sarcastic tone. There, I'll what's just meaningful to them. My only equivalent to this, and it's so much smaller, but this is a hundred percent true. Mm -hmm. So I had a similar issue, Quentin, and uh, we were supposed to be reading a big, boring translation of um, the Iliad in this one class in seventh grade. And it was a bad translation, I now know. It was so fucking boring. Mm -hmm. But someone had given me, and again, I was 13 or 14, so I don't write letters about why this book sucks, but I loved it at 13. I was reading The Fountainhead. Oh, yeah, and uh -huh. so I took... Uh -huh the cover of the Iliad, <laughs> the Iliad yeah. and I took the um, book out and yeah, I yeah. put the right. fountainhead in it yeah, yeah. and I was sitting, there was this English teacher who was a wrestling coach and I was uh -huh. sitting in his class uh -huh. reading the Iliad, but I was reading the fountainhead. the fountainhead and he comes over and he kicks it mm -hmm. out of my 
hands uh-huh. in the middle of the class. Uh-huh. He just does a fucking Bill Wallace front yeah, snap yeah, yeah. kick and Wallace, kicks yeah. the fucking thing out mm-hmm. of my mm-hmm. hand. And he's like, get that crap out of here. This isn't why you're... And, and kicks me out of the class. Mm-hmm. 25 years later, mm-hmm. 30 years later, I get this request from one of my nieces is at the school. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And she said, you know, this teacher X, he said you were like his favorite student uh-huh. and will you come speak to his yeah. class? Uh-huh. And I said, I'll come speak to any other class. <laughs> I said, I will not come speak to that motherfucker's class. I kicked the book out of my thing and, and humiliated me in front of the whole school. So I understand. But he wasn't my mother. He was the asshole wrestling yeah, coach. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, but OK, so you got that. And that, that reminds me of that great moment in, um, in, in the chess movie, Bobby Fischer. Uh-huh. When she says uh, that chess thing, yeah, right, and yeah, it's like with the quotes on it, you yeah, know, that right. Zalian movie, and he goes that chess thing, and he Joe Montana freaks out, that chess thing. Yeah. Well, okay, so this goes back to that question of why does it? That's where my mind. Like sometimes people will say about my characters. And about your characters, you know, you're on a much, obviously you're on your, a much different level than me, but they'll still say it about my characters. Why do they talk in movie quotes? And I'm like, people don't talk in movie quotes. And I think... It's just they do. Well, I talk in movie quotes all fucking day long. I yeah, have my yeah, whole yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I talk about, like, when you that, tell me that story, the first thing I think of is mm-hmm. that chess thing and yeah, 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 the yeah. way Joe Montagna responds. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So why do we... I guess, you know, why does this shit, why is arguing about Jules and Jim? Because we're, we're, we're both could have sort of just writing that off, but we both know someday we're going to argue that out. Yeah. It's going to matter to uh, us. Yeah. Why does it matter so much, do you think? Because your characters care about this. I mean, every character in this book, mm-hmm. way different than in the movie, every character in this book has deep, Cliff especially, but like Marvin, they all have opinions. Well, okay, but here's the thing about that, though, all right, because... Um, yeah, they're in the business. Some cri- Yeah, exactly, that, that's a big difference. Some critics have actually brought up, or not even some critics, even some people like, wow, everyone just is very committed to cinema. They're, they're all committed to cinephilia. No, 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 they're not committed to cinephilia. All right, they would never describe themselves like that. Um, this is their industry. People were connected, were plugged into what was going on in the industry, when I talk to um, any of these old timers, you know, if I talk to, well, I can't talk to him anymore, he's dead, but like, what if I talk to, or a lot of these guys are dead. Okay, so when I talk to like Michael, if I ask Michael Parks about Ty Harden, yes. if I ask Burt Reynolds about Jim Brown or Clue Gulliger or Vic Diaz or fucking anybody, all right, uh, 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 if I asked uh, David Carradine about, so tell me about this guy or that guy, they'll tell you chapter and verse about their career because they were they were peers along the same uh, along the same time they knew everything it's like i'm sure every part for a period of time that david carradine read for in the er, uh, 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 in the late 60s early 70s michael parks read for you know burt reynolds read for this thing and george maharis got it and he knew george i mean you know from this and that and the other and so the, they they were just in chapter and verse also uh, 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 of what was going on, the, 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 uh, the heat of the industry, who was hot, who was not, what was going on, who worked with who, who worked, you know, who, who had an inside track as far as this was concerned versus who, who that was concerned. And by the way, if you were working on episodic television, it's your job to know every episodic television director you ever worked with because that's going to get you work. 
you know, so it's, you know, it, it's just like, uh, uh, um, well, sure. And it's how you prepare for your day. I mean, I, I, because I, mm-hmm. I hire all these episodes director. I know I, that makes yeah. total sense to me, right? Yeah. I have lists and lists well, of them in my head. Well, me writing the book, and this kind of goes back to one of the, the earlier questions you asked me writing the book. One of the things I thought I had to it, had with it was other than the fact that I think I had a whole bunch of interesting characters that I had more to say about them. Yes. And it seemed like audiences had more they wanted to hear about them was it's also a Hollywood book. It's a book about Hollywood. And I am an expert on this. And I'm an expert on this time era. And I'm looks like I'm one of the youngest experts of this time era. But I'm, you know, uh, and so I really had, you know, I had something to say. And so I wanted to talk over the reader's head the way that, like, when it comes to hockey, Slapshot talked over my head. Well, I didn't know who the but, fuck. But to this day, I don't know who the fuck Eddie Shore is. But I know that I know that line but, from Slapshot. Old time sure, hockey. Fuck, piss on old time hockey. Eddie well, Shore, right. piss on Eddie Shore. Yeah, of course. You know, a Slapshot is not. I weirdly enough, I like every other movie like Slapshot. But I don't care about it for some reason. I don't memor. I don't have Slapshot memorized like I do all like all those other movies. Like uh, North Dallas Forty or um, you know all the but uh, but even the idea of Strother Martin like you know yeah, uh, as a crossdresser <laughs> no of course started but, coming on to me I was like hey but boy don't want to be doing I'm ashamed of you stop <laughs> here but, but here's here's the thing here's what I want I want to get, get to about this Quentin because yes that's true uh, of course you are an expert on it but if I think about how it's used mm-hmm. okay because yes the first thing is yeah they would know about this but the way it's used is to measure relative failure yeah, in the book. right on, yeah. People in the book are measuring... Well, I don't think that goes against what I'm talking about. No, it goes it, right it, with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. no, I want to get to a... I want to... Okay. Because you're an author, this mm-hmm. isn't like a filmmaker could say, well, there's lots of other people, it's collaborative. This yeah, yeah. whole fucking puppy comes from you uh-huh. and the team of writers who you hired to really write it. That's who it obviously comes from. <laughs> and all my joke, and all my gag writers. <laughs> uh, the gag writers, and you, you and the gag writers. Um... Uh, you and Bruce Valanche, yeah, I guess, right, wrote it. Yeah. To, clearly wrote it together. He actually would make a really good Hollywood he would, novel. Yeah, he would. He would make a great one. He knows everything. Him and Paul Williams, which yeah, I want to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, in a second. Yeah, yeah. Paul Williams. But um, where I was getting to is this: the book is a study. The novel, even again, more than the movie, though the movie is too, is like a study of relative failure, mm-hmm. relative success, relative failure, and this ineffable difference mm-hmm. between the exact right person in a role mm-hmm. and the almost right person in a role. Yeah, right on, yeah. Right? You're fascinated by that, it mm-hmm. seems to me. Well, I mean, that. well, that's, well, I've always found it really interesting to see, you know, where where a career goes right, where a career goes wrong, where this could happen versus that. Yes. Yeah. Like, so the first... Casting what ifs are always really the fascinating. The first script I read, and I forgot this, the other reason at Pulp Fiction I went to see it, was and this is a great story that I don't I don't think I told you in any of the times that we've spent time together before. My, my partner Levine, who mm-hmm. I make the show with mm-hmm. and all of our stuff together, he got a development job out of college in '89. Wow! Lucky and for two years he worked as Leonard Goldberg's mm-hmm. like assist like Leonard Goldberg's head of development's assistant, and then he worked his way up. And yeah. when he was an assistant, he said. The one script that he sent me, I was in New York and I wasn't yet doing this. I didn't even know I wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. But he sent me, he tells this story and it's great. And he told it to me before you were famous, which is the best part. Mm-hmm. He got one script, he read it. 
He was like, this is better than everything else I've read. He went into his bosses and he was like, you have to meet with this guy. This guy is the whole thing. You've got to get in a room with this guy. And they didn't book the meeting. He mm-hmm. called your people, find out. Really? And they didn't book the meeting. And David was like, you must, you must. And he sent me two year scripts. And then, mm-hmm. which I'll tell you, then True Romance gets announced that you sold it. Mm-hmm. And those guys go, find out who wrote that True Romance. We want to meet him. And he was like, motherfuckers, <laughs> dumb six asshole. months ago. Right, now yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. meet, Quentin Tarantino's not coming in anymore yeah. to meet with Leonard Goldberg. <laughs> because we did it already. And that's true, David. But he sent me Natural Born Killers. Wow, really? Uh-huh. And I will tell you, and this is one of those things about the ineffable quality and what I'm interested in. I want you to speak to this because I do see echoes of your, I see echoes of certain things in your life and career in this movie. And one of the things is, you know, who get it, who didn't. So I would say if I listed the 10 most influential dialogue writers on me, uh, you and Oliver Stone would both be in that 10 pack mm-hmm. of the most influential dialogue. Yeah, uh-huh. You can, you know, I, I know you, and thank, you've watched Billions very closely, whatever. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. The, I could, you, uh, uh, but I walked out of Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. I hated it so much yeah. because the what you ended up doing with uh, with Honey Bunny, mm-hmm. the sacrament, the crime mm-hmm. as a sacrament of love, yeah, uh-huh. is in your script of Natural yeah, Born yeah, yeah, Killers. Yeah. In fact, it's what the whole fucking it thing is about. about. Yeah, and that doesn't exist in Oliver's film. No, not at all. I mean, not that I've seen it all from beginning to end. But it broke my... So this is... Yeah. What, the, the book is so concerned with these kind of heartbreaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little thing that didn't quite... So, like, I literally remember... And this is... But what year did MBK come out? Do you remember? Oh, it came out in 94. It came out the same year as Pulp Fiction. So, right. So in 94, I was not yet doing this. I was not mm-hmm. a professional. Mm-hmm. I hadn't started writing until after... Yeah, yeah. I didn't start writing until 1996. Mm-hmm. I walked out. I was personally so insulted that this genius I love his movies uh, yeah yeah Oliver Stone so fundamentally misread yeah yeah uh-huh. why your script that I had read as a you know two years before mattered so yeah, much yeah. well and also one of the I'm mean, one of the things not to I'm not trying to pump myself up but one of the things about that script in particular was uh, particular I guess is um, I was trying to make it on the page and so when you read it you saw the movie yes man and it was like, why didn't he do at least half of that? It was like done for him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it, and it killed me. And so I wondered, it must have, it killed me as just a fan, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, and I've never seen anyone really write about this, you know, the, sacri- the, 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 the killing and the spree as the sacrament of their love, which as you just mm-hmm. said, was what the whole thing was actually yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh-huh. It's what you were trying to get to. You've then gotten to it. And I, I, so I wonder about how this, this question of the ineffable magic quality found its way into the book because I think mm-hmm. it's in there. Mm-hmm. And is it conscious in your mind all the time? These small decisions someone might make, like mm-hmm. making um, one of them cheat on the other one, mm-hmm. whereas you would never have had them cheat. No, no, on no, each no, other. no. You know, there was that whole moment where actually, where um, in fact, it was funny. I didn't see this, but it was like my guy, the friends of mine at the video store. You know, they had read the script for two years before it was ever yes. made. And then, the, you know, and then they're like, "Oh my God, Quentin! There's this whole scene in the movie where um, Mickey is fucking Mallory, yeah. and then he like looks at a, a female victim who's tied up in the corner, and he starts fantasizing about her, and they, and they go." 
Mickey would never do that. Right. <laughs> well, Mallory would never cheat. Mallory would never cheat. Mickey would. I mean, the, the the point of the thing is they unnaturally live for each other at the expense of everybody else on the planet Earth. Well, yes. And how often do you think in this? And because I'm trying to think about like why is this obsession that this obsession you clearly have in your work of like who should be cast for this? As you said, you were making cast lists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the the way in which the smallest wrong decision mm-hmm. can ruin what could have been magic. Yeah, and it seems like this isn't something you think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I, I yeah, I guess it is, but partly because I mean I don't know if I walk around thinking about it now, but I guess I did think about it a lot for a while because, like I said, I was like really into all these different cool actors and their careers, and and especially the ones where it's you know, uh, I'm midwifing their career a little bit because they're not Charles Bronson. They're not big stars. But they could have been. And, um, you know, there's that, especially in the 70s, there was that, probably in the 80s too, but especially in the 70s, there was that thing where you start noticing a, a cool character actor. But yeah. a, a fairly young one that actually could, you know, we'll see what happens, but they could be a star. Okay? And they stand out. And they jump out. And by the way, a lot of guys who became stars, I remember the first thing they did and I saw them of before course. they like, they broke out. And so it was no surprise to me when they broke out. But there was also like people like Bo Hopkins in the early 70s. And you'd see them in this and that and the other. And I was always a big fan of William Smith. And I was... Oh, yeah, I, me too. Yeah, and I was just... I'm like, well, why isn't he Charles Bronson? What's going on? And then but you could just name this with a whole bunch of different uh, uh, actors. And then there would be the moment where it seemed like they were going to make a move. Right. And that they were like, you know, oh, okay, so now they're in the big movie and now they're the second lead or they're the best friend, but they're, you know, they're, they're practically a second lead and they're a hero. They're not the bad guy. And then the smaller budget movie uh, where they're the lead. And then and then they're just getting more, either bigger parts or more heroic parts. And, uh, and then it's over. Then it doesn't happen. Then it crests. Yes. And I remember, like, you know, especially because I've been midwiping William Smith's career for such a long time. But by the time that he's starring in any which way you can, and he's like a character of, of, of respect, and now he's uh, just started, you know, he's in two Coppola movies, and he's like the motorcycle boy's nemesis, yes. and he's uh, the, uh, the Russian general in Red Drawing. Oh my God, this is the time. This is happening. And then I go and see the Richard Brooks movie, uh, Fever Pitch. All right, with Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. And... And now there's William Smith playing uh, Chad Everett's leg breaker. This guy just named Panama because he wears a big right, Panama yeah. hat. And it's like, oh, that's that's the parts that William Smith was playing six right. years ago. Right. Oh, uh, what's he doing? He can't be doing this now. Well, this be, is I, great. I should have been his fucking manager is what I should have been. <laughs> well, in the scene. He should be playing the George C. Scott role in fucking Firestarter. <laughs> right. Well, no. Well, yeah, I read what you wrote in the book about George C. Scott, okay. <laughs> but to me, George C. Scott's amazing in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just I, always thought William Smith would have been better. I thought George C. Scott. Yes. I think George C. Scott is good in it, but he's slumming. Yeah, but when you talk about George C. Scott and you say these guys who are supposed to be tough guys and you rattle him off, but you like Alan Ladd better, the character does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Likes Alan Ladd better. Well, Do you okay. not think George C. Scott and the Hustler is fucking amazing? No, 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 no. The point. Wait, I don't even remember if I even said George C. Scott, but maybe I did. All right, he's um, in that um, run. Yeah, he's in that run. Great. Okay. Well, the thing about it, no, it's just it's not about Cliff saying they're not good. It's Cliff saying they look they look and sound like actors. Yes. Right. And actually, George C. Scott does look and sound like an actor. 
And, uh, um, you know, he was just like, look, I just don't buy it. I like, I like these guys. I find them entertaining, but I have no, I don't mistake them for real people. They don't sound like real, they, they, they talk like movie characters and they do the shit movie characters do. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. But then he makes a point. But Alan Ladd kind of doesn't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, and I, I get what you're saying about following these. I mean, that's what Elmer Leonard always well, said. Because they asked Elmer Leonard about, like, go, uh, um, they go, what actors, uh, have any actors done your work? Naturally, this was before Jackie Brown. Right, uh, <laughs> uh, um, have any actors uh, played what your characters that was exactly the way you saw it in your head and exactly the way you heard the dialogue in your head? And he goes, only one time, only one actor. All the other actors, and believe me, I have seen good actors play my characters. They're always actors. They always sound like actors. They always look like actors. They're not my, they, they do a good job of my character, but they're actors. My characters are real. <laughs> um, the only person that ever did it exactly the way it was in my head, and he did it twice, was Richard Boone. In Ombre and yeah. in The Tall T. He right. goes, he looked exactly like the guy in my head, and he sound, he said the dialogue exactly the way I heard it in my head. The only actor. And for you, that was Robert Forster, or that was Pam Grier, when you're saying before Jackie Brown? No, I didn't, I'm not coming from, uh, oh, no, no, I'm not, no, no, I'm just saying, no, no, that's up for Edwin Leonard to say who did the best role oh, in yeah, his Oh, yeah, you're saying right, yeah. So, yeah, got it. You're trying to accept the fact you're saying those no, are. No, this was definitely, definitely done in an, this was done in an interview around the time of Stick. <laughs> right, yeah, long, long before yeah. uh, that, that was at stake before for Before I knew Dutch, yeah. <laughs> Well, so hey, let me when, let me ask you a question though. Go ahead. Um. So, you read my novelization. Yes. You're a writer. Did it inspire you to want to write something like that? Oh well, here's what I'd say. Uh, no, the most amazing thing is I, don't, I bet you haven't read this one, but I think the best. Normally, I think I would hate when so, if someone took my work and did it. Mm -hmm. But actually, Kevin Canty wrote a novelization of Rounders, and it's incredible. Oh, really? Uh -huh. It stands alone. It's like a great novel. He's a really great writer. Uh -huh. I couldn't do exactly what he did. He invented shit. But that was a long time. That, that was a, exactly that was a long. Right that was such me. a long time ago. Yeah. You, you're well, a different but, guy yeah, now. But the but, but um to me and and I, I just want to say to you because uh, of this whole combo. You know, the letter you wrote came at such a deep time. The letter you wrote about yeah, billions yeah, to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I just want to thank, like, I just oh. got to say, man, the fact that you watched it and bothered to watch the whole fucking thing mm -hmm. is, um, you know, in, in that silent thing of who you write for, you uh -huh. know, you're one of the people that uh -huh. I write for. Yeah, so uh -huh. the fact, and when I think, close my eyes and think of who's who's my ideal reader, yeah, uh -huh. watcher, yeah. you know, you're right up there. Hey, look, it was like, it was like I was, I, I'm stuck in Tel Aviv for a whole year and they actually have it on uh, uh, the, the Yes channel in, in Tel Aviv and I've, I've always been meaning to watch it and I'd seen a couple of bits and I even saw it out of order. I think I saw it. Yeah, you the, watched the season five I saw first. the season five first and then when I ran out of shit to watch for that I went back in time to see how it all fucking started. Yeah, <laughs> but that that letter that, that second note that you wrote yeah. about why, how you got it and just get the fact that you um, 
you understood exactly what Dave and I were after, which yeah, is yeah. incredibly satisfying uh, since you yeah. were at the right. beginning for both of us. Yeah, and well, and also, it was also just so delicious to hear all that, the, hear those lines, and the, the, the you know, and the, you know, all the you know, all the uh, 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 the cultural touchstones that the characters that are the characters' parlance that they yeah. trade in. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and the fact that Axe's favorite movie is Bastards, I'm sure, didn't, yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. hurt at didn't all. Didn't hurt. Didn't I'm hurt. Sure that didn't yeah. hurt the ride, uh, but. But I want to talk. I want to go back to the thing about these actors, and because some of you've talked about only a little bit, but I just want you to talk a little deeper about it. Because when when I'm reading Rick, even though he's in a different era, so Rick's this TV star who'd not even star, right? He has a show. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I would say for people in the book for whom the Manson thing was distracting, the mm-hmm. the, the murder mm-hmm. for in the in the film, re- read the book because it's handled in a totally different way and as a as a sort of a propulsion for mm-hmm. for Rick but and really I loved it in the movies but yeah, in the yeah, book yeah. it's very the sort of difference makes a lot of sense not novelistically but when I uh-huh. when I think about Rick as character I see some similarity to Christoph Waltz and where he was in mm-hmm. his life mm-hmm. in in Germany yeah, yeah a little bit and yeah. in Austria uh-huh. because uh-huh. right he's this working actor yeah he's not his he's um underachieving his gifts because they're not giving him nobody's giving him the chance and 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 he's coming off of a 30-year career so he's like he's easy to take for granted right and he's he's i mean yeah i mean like the the biggest equivalent in america would be brian cranson before breaking bad you mean post seinfeld post sort of being post uh, malcolm in the middle right you know he was the oh he's the comedy guy all right he's the sitcom guy he's the this guy he's the that guy and then you know then you see uh uh you know you see breaking bad and they go whoa now here's the thing is in the in the case of christoph oh you have yeah i have a question i want you to say all that but this is the question like can you just because you've described this feeling of having to Maybe not make the movie, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't find yeah, yeah. the character. You can't find well, look, I, of, or you can't find him, right? Yeah, well, well yeah. It's a, it, it was a, well. I'm afraid that I'm not going to find the character. All right, even before I'm looking for it and not finding him. All right. You mean writing it? You're afraid? You're no, no, not no, 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 no. Yeah, writing it. I'm afraid I'm not going to find an actor to play this because it was one of those things where when I started writing it. I did not know that Hans Landa was a linguistic genius. That just kept happening as I yeah. was writing it further and further on. I mean, it was just like, there was no language you could throw at him that he couldn't converse in to some degree. If a Filipino showed up and started speaking Tagalog to him, he would be able to answer back. Um, and And so the thing about it was I knew well, look, there's just no way I can cast an American to play this. and uh, um, There's no way they can learn the French that will be important for it. There's no way they can learn the German that will be important for it. Um, they, they they can learn it, and they can even do a good job, but they won't be the Londa that's on the page. The Londa's on the page doesn't have to work at this. It's just right there. It's effortless. That's yeah. part of the whole gag, it's right? It's the gag. And so I knew that, look, there's no... This is easily the best character I've ever written, so I'm not going to do an inferior version of what's here on the page. So I have to find somebody that is as much of a linguistic genius as Londi is. And then I met other um, other really good actors.
actors. And it's not a question of fluency either. I, I met other really good actors, and some of them I even cast in other parts in the movie. And they were reading for Londa, and when they read the English, they were fluent. I could talk to them for the next week. We could go on a vacation together. It, it could have been fantastic. But it wasn't, it wasn't the language for them to read poetry in. And there is a poetry to there's a poetry to the German version, there's a poetry to the Italian version, the French version, and the English version. And they weren't connecting the poetry. This wasn't wasn't fluency. Makes it wasn't sense. the language for them to recite poetry in. And um, and then what ended up happening was I started really thinking, hey, this isn't gonna. I don't know if we're gonna find this guy. And the way we have been doing my movies forever is. I take a long time to write the scripts, but when I finish the script, we just start production. We just get offices. Because I'm not really worried about setting the movie up. Yeah, so course. I'll pay for everything to get it going, and, and then we'll make our deal, and we'll take our time to make the right deal, and then I get paid back right. for everything. So that's the kind of situation that's going on. We're in Germany. We're casting the You're film. paying for pre-production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely paying for pre-production. I've done that for the last right. 20 years. Will right. you pay for my pre-production? <laughs> yeah, you're Actually, if I get it paid back the way I do mine, yeah, sure, yeah, sure yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. So you, so Give me paying. a vig, and then yeah. the answer is really yes. All yeah, right. So you're uh, so you're paying for. So I'm paying for pre-production, and then now it literally, I. It literally is a situation where. I think, it's it's Tuesday. We just had Monday. It's Tuesday morning, and by Friday, uh, 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 Universal Pictures is going to be taking over the account. It's going to sign the check, and then now we're making the movie for Universal. Right. And, uh, and I know if I'm going to pull the plug, i got to pull it before Thursday. And so I call, like at 6 in the morning, I call my, uh, my business partner, Lawrence, and he comes down there. And, uh, Lawrence uh, Bender. Yeah, Lawrence Bender. And I, I talked to the casting director, and I think I even had Mike Simpson, uh, my agent, on the line. And I go, look, guys, we're not finding him, and I'm not so confident that we're going to find him. And I just don't want to make the movie if we can't find the perfect Londa. Now, I'm, th this is not as cavalier as it sounds. I mean, it's, it's a World War II movie. World War II isn't going anywhere. So we can just, like... Wrap up our box and put it away, but, and then three years from now we but can. But did you know? Did you know you'd written your? I like to me that's your masterpiece. Did you know? Did you know you'd maybe written your masterpiece? Yes, but I was. I I thought Londa was even more of a masterpiece than the script. <laughs> right, Lond no, no. Kristoff is part of why it's yeah, 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 why yeah. it might be yeah. your greatest movie. But like, well, yeah. no, I didn't say I'm going to throw it away. But it's just like it's a World War II movie. We can tr we can put it away and take this out three years from now, and it'll be a different group of actors, and maybe we'll and, have and, better luck. And, and you would have the internal fortitude to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, rather than cast a, a, a Londa that's not right, hell yeah. Yes, I'm. 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 I mean, not only are we going to do it, I'm. I've already. I am preparing the emotional deadness. That's great. That's important. Yes. Yeah. I am. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm I, I've got till Thursday to commit to the uh, 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 you uh, uh, to to cut the limb off completely and 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 nothing twice about it. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's on a mat. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I can't imagine how painful that week was. So, mm -hmm. so what happened? You know, so, and Lawrence did a great job in this time. All right, so I, I I say what I'm saying. He goes, 
Well, okay then. Well, then then what's happening is until Thursday, it's just the only people we're seeing are Londa. It's all Londa all the time. And if it doesn't work out, well, then yeah, he didn't think I was crazy. He didn't think it was silly. All right. He's like, no. Okay. I, I get it. So then uh, we don't want to do that. Uh, so until Thursday, it's just Londa, 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 Londa. And then um, Wednesday, Christoph Watts came in. And the minute he read the first big sequence, me and Lawrence just looked at each other and we knew we were making the movie. What, what, and it's incredible, but I, because again, the novel, which I, the novel does such a good job of capturing the interiority of these kinds of moments, of the missed opportunity, of when it's right, yeah. the McQueen story, you know, all that shit. Can you just talk a little bit though about, so you, because the emotional deadness, this is exactly what I wanted to know, right? Mm -hmm. You had to have that, that will to say I'm going to shut down. Do you let yourself start to get excited? Like, what happens to you emotionally? Are you falling in love with this? Like, are you filled with joy suddenly, or is it all business-like? Like, what? Because to me, it would seem like watching that guy do it on film. Because I had read, uh, I had read that section before watching the movie because yeah, 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 it was yeah, excerpted yeah. Oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. And I thought it was the greatest. I mean, I really was like, uh -huh. so it was another one where I took my son. We saw that before it opened at a uh -huh. screening, and like lost my fucking mind. But, <laughs> At that the guy actually could pull, pull it off, you know, yeah. the pipe, the whole thing, because you had it all written. You yeah, had the yeah. floorboards. The floorboards was scripted exactly mm -hmm. uh, as you shot it and yeah, as yeah, you yeah. cut it together. But when you saw him doing it in front of you, like, what was your emotional valence? Like, what was happening inside you? Oh, it was... I really had considered that I wrote a character that was unplayable. Yeah. And so to actually see somebody ride that horse and do it perfectly, I mean, absolutely perfectly, it was, I, was, I, I was gobsmacked. And I remember even, uh, uh, you know, he finished and we're like, we're effusive. We're like, oh my God, that's great. That's terrific. And da -da, you just, you've done so much. And then, and then you know, he's very nonplussed about everything. He goes, well, look, I appreciate all your platitudes, and but uh, um, I run afoul of a lot of my colleagues because I actually believe that an actor can only be as good as his material. And so when you're telling me that I'm, uh, I've just done such a magnificent job, that I am so great and everything, uh, I, I just feel that you're complimenting yourself because the scene is so good. You're just complimenting your own material is what you're, is what you're doing, actually. Wow. And, okay, and, and then I go, okay, um, well, thank you. Um, but no, look, I, I do think, though, that when it comes to this character, you have an inner compass of what he's supposed to be. Yeah. And then he thought about that for a second. And he goes, okay, uh, I'll accept that. Maybe I do have this compass of which you speak. And then he points at the script and he goes, yet the North Pole is the North Pole. Oh. oh, wow. And that's exactly what Londa would say. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of suppositions he would come through. Of course, because <laughs> obviously this guy to learn those, obviously Waltz is really smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was able to sort of grasp it. And in, I just kind of liked way. the idea now of a, a script being North Pole. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 you should yeah, insist yeah, yeah, on yeah, that yeah. to every actor. <laughs> you were, now, did you ever worry that when he showed up, because the you know this great, even right in the beginning of the book, mm. uh, and if anyone's wondering, sample the book on, on the iPad, because even just the first scene, which in the movie, um, 
isn't don't able sample to, the book on iPad. Don't. Then you can just push by. Oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. Here's what okay, happens, okay, right? Okay, you yeah. you get the first chapter. Oh, okay, yeah, that's how And then, okay. and I'm saying that the first chapter, because the mar- that scene oh, yeah, with yeah, the yeah, agent yeah, in yeah, him yeah, yeah, uh-huh. is so much richer than yeah, it is yeah. in the movie. Right, yeah, uh-huh. um, Because he's talking about the missed opportunities yeah, yeah. and all that. Well, but he says this entire thing, career, yeah. But this is a great moment where he understands the humanity of an actor. You know, the crying and then him relating oh, yeah, to the crying. It's great, right? Um Actors, we they cry. You know, you're a human being. Well, and for Sometimes a moment, it, <laughs> it, it 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 humanizes um, the agent. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it humanizes the agent also. But there's this line in there that really caught me about hubris. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And someone once said, Edward Norton said once to me about another actor, you got to forgive everybody the first two years after they become famous because they become assholes. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you got to yeah. just ignore it right, and show yeah. up two years later and right, then see, yeah. right. they're still an asshole, we can well, write them off. Right, yeah, yeah, and if they've uh-huh. come back to themselves, yeah, that's yeah. fine. We're, so a couple things with the pressure. One, were you worried that when Walsh walked onto the floor with the cameras and you there and on the thing that he wouldn't be able to have the cool that... Oh, no, not at all. Or you knew. No, no, no. It was just not a question. I mean, one of the things about it was actually interesting is I've... As you can imagine, everybody in the cast is like, who's Londo? What's, what's going on with yeah. Londo? Okay. Yeah. And the only people who knew who he was were some of the Germans. All right? Um, but, you know, uh, uh, but none of the other people who didn't grow up in Germany watching TV all the time knew who he was. And so everyone's like, well, they want to know what's, who's this Londo guy? Who's going to play him? I mean, it's obviously the role. So... Um, I got together with Christoph before we get to the big script reading where the whole cast is going to yes. read. I go, look, Christoph, I want to... I'm not just doing this to be perverse game playing, but I think there is something here. Everybody is so curious about who's going to play Londa. And I think it's a situation like this. Um, two things. I don't want you to be bad at the script reading but I want you to hold a lot back. You did. Yeah. I don't want them to, I, I, you, you, I, I don't want them to think that they're getting a glimpse of who you're really going to be. So on a, on a scale of one to 10, give me six. Be good enough. Just good enough. And that's going to be hard. I, I don't want you to get into a competition with anybody. If you get into a competition with somebody, I want you to lose. All right. I don't want them to know what you have. And I don't want them to have a handle on Londa. And I go, and in that same vein, with the exception of the farmer and the French farmer, with the exception of him, I don't know if I want you rehearsing with the other actors because I don't want them to have a have rehearsing a sense. Rehearsing with them even at even, blocking? Even, even, even at blocking in the morning, well, you mean? No, 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 no. Or rehearsing. Well, once we're making the movie, okay, it's yeah, a different yeah. thing. But during a two-week rehearsal uh, period. Understood, yes. And with the exception of the French farmer, that's a different story because that's a little one-act play unto itself. And uh, I, I, I don't think I want Diane Kruger. I don't think I want Brad. I don't think I want them to, to, to know your gun-slinging abilities until the cameras are rolling. And he goes... Okay, I appreciate that, but I don't want to leave this my time with you. I need to rehearse all those scenes, but I'll just do it with you. Boom. So that's what you did. That's what we you did. You and he did the rehearsal. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Wow, and and you guys, you felt like he could keep it in his pocket. And did he do it at table read? He did. He was it. fine. He was he, just fine. He did. He, he did a great job. It was like like you could see why he got the role, but he wasn't the Kristoff that we saw in the movie. As a matter of fact, Lawrence halfway through goes. It's kind of an off day for Christoph. Oh, I go, oh, I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a funny moment. Yeah. 
what, just for people who are listening who are directors, you know, uh, people always say don't ask for uh, results from actors, but you do it all. The, I've, I've mm-hmm. read a million interviews with you where uh-huh. you've talked about how you got something out of an actor by telling him what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? When is it okay in your mind to say to an actor, look, this is what I need to feel, or this is what I want you to, this is what this is, as opposed to trying to always give. Well, look, I'm, look, I'm, I, look, I'm, because uh, you're saying to an actor, a, a, I want you to be good. It's, it's, a, it's a vague misnomer. I mean, look, I, I'm, look, I, I try not to be result-oriented as we start a scene because we want to go to wherever we want to go. But I also know for my movie where I kind of needed to go. Now, I'm hoping that we find someplace else that I had, couldn't have... That's fine if it couldn't, happens. It's couldn't great. have conceived about, you know. Uh, um, you know. But usually, like, I have a really good situation with the actors. And most of the actors that I work on are, you know... They're coming from a cool thing about movies. So it's not a, just about the sanctity of the character in the moment. They understand this is the revenge scene in the movie. They understand that this is the Clint Eastwood. They know this is the quip that you say that takes sure. the curse off of this or that or the other. But I'm saying, yes, now And you're... I can say, look, no, no, you're just not selling my jokes. You're not selling my fucking jokes. You need to sell the jokes. Right, now that's <laughs> the kind of thing that people would say never to say to an actor. Yeah, well, of course you could. You could uh, look, I wouldn't, you know, it's like, now, look. Leonardo DiCaprio is definitely not a person to be result-oriented with until you figured it out. Uh, once what do you f- mean by until you figured it out? Say, well, say more got, about that. Well, until you've, like, you know, you've, you've, you've explored the scene and now he knows where the humor is and now he knows where the scene is. And now, you know, it's like we found it together. Now we find it together. Now he'll build the house. Sure. Any way you want to, any way you want to build the house. But the problem is... People who have a, ba- a, a faulty plan to build a house are talking about the building of the house before they've even... Yes. discovered yes right or wrong. did you were you able to talk that way early on in your career too in other words sell the joke was that something you could have said on Raz dogs or on pulp fiction or did that become easier to do once it was proven that you knew oh yeah no no no, no. everyone was really impressed all the actors were very impressed with the script and they were impressed with me. They they mean liked, early they, on, early on. Yeah, yes. they liked me, and then they really the actors on who on Reservoir Dogs really liked the script. So if I tell them there's a joke there that they're not selling, I, but actually, actually at the time the way I did it is I did it the Woody Allen way. I said, okay, look, um, you don't have to say it this way. This is, uh, 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 but just so you'll know, that's a joke, and you're not selling oh. the punchline. You don't have to, but if you want the That's what joke, I intended, was yeah, the joke yeah. to give you this moment. Yeah, but if you want the laugh, uh-huh. if you want the laugh, all right, then it kind of needs to be da-ba-ba-ba-ba, not da-ba-ba-ba-ba. And you would actually, maybe you wouldn't give the line reading, but you would do it in the well, syncopation I, I, I like that. I consider saying the rhythm of a joke No, a I think that's reading. not a line reading. Yeah. That's great. Okay, well, here's the deal. Okay, you tell any actor, do you want the laugh? Of course they fucking want the laugh. Yes. All right? Yes, of, of course. Of course they want the laugh. So you tell it that way, then of course they're going to give it to you. So another, that makes complete sense to me. So another, and, and, and uh, there are broader applications of that. Actually, dealing with I talent. heard a funny story about that that was actually a, a crack up. Uh, um... Uh, this uh, theater director that I worked with, Leonard Folia, uh, I think he was doing the Heidi Chronicles, and yeah. uh, I think Amy Irving was in it, and she left. And then uh, Mary McDonoghue, the Battlestar Galactica Dances with Wolves woman, came uh-huh. in there. I know, just and um, and she was playing the role. And then she's coming from this actor place at the beginning, 
And she goes, okay, look, I don't want to hear about all the things that you discovered with Amy Irving during the course of the thing. I want to be able to find things on my own and have my own experience. So I don't just want to you know, hear the rundown of the bits that work. You know, okay, fine, 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 fine. We'll, we'll do it that way. But at some point, after a few performances, uh, uh, the director or the, or the stage manager pulls her, the stage manager, it's a stage manager thing, pulls her and says, look, there is this one bit that just always killed every performance. You're not going to find it on your own. We just accidentally found it. It's not going to find it on your own. And I think you're going to like the reaction. Ah. So let me tell you what it is. So it's like you do this and you do this and you do this with the coffee and the sugar. I'm making up some bullshit. Of course. You do some business on stage and that's going to get the laugh. And that gets the laugh. And she goes out there that day, that matinee show, does it, brings the fucking house down, she steps off stage when that's over. Okay, tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, tell me everything. It's great. I want to know all the jokes. I want to know all the business. I want to know everything that kills. Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right, I, there's so much more, but I'm going to let you out of here soon. I just have this, two more two more things. But one is... But you never 100% answered the question. You went back to Rounders saying, well, I couldn't have done a good a job as that guy, but that was fucking 20 years ago. All right, would you be interested? Did, did the page invite you from reading the book, did the page invite you to try it yourself? There are other, no, the, the answer to your question is, I think because the last few years we've spent telling a long story in chapters mm-hmm. on billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the new thing we're doing, Super Pumped, is mm-hmm. like this incredible ability to tell this story over time yeah, yeah. that's set up this way. I get a lot of that out no, because yeah. I have iterate. Yeah. I can iterate on Chuck Rhodes, Bobby Oxrod, Mike Prince. I can Wendy well, yeah. Rhodes. Like yes, would I? Yes, could I see myself writing a Wendy Rhodes yeah, yeah, yeah. book? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be a blast to do. But do I actually see myself doing doing it? Yeah. No, because maybe I. Or I would maybe love to I read would. an erotic book of Wendy Rhodes. Go write the Wendy Rhodes. <laughs> well, please write write the Wendy Rhodes book, and I didn't say it would be an erotic one, but yes, write the Wendy. No, Rhodes I just simply what I want to read. I just... That's fine. <laughs> you can commission your guy, get Bruce Valanche and uh, the guys from Cotter, and yeah. get them to um, do it. Here, here's something that you know. This is folklore, Quentin. But mm-hmm. again, my my this show is about when I started it, and you were one of the names obviously I wanted from the beginning in 2013, was always about these inflection points, moments of success or failure and how people process them. So the story's legendary of the film that you tried to make and couldn't make and either it got in a fire and you weren't able to put it together in mm-hmm. the first movie. Yeah. But I've really never heard you talk about the emotion of it. You just, because I think most people would quit. Yeah. So you've never really talked about the two weeks after you put it together the best you could and you realized it sucked. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about your self-talk during that? Like, what the fuck did you say to yourself to keep going? Well, look, I can honestly say that um, of all of the accomplishments I ever did in the course of my life, the one I'm the proudest of is those two weeks. That's, I'm sure that's true. It's amazing. Talk more about it. Yes. Because um, you know, I tried to make this movie on 16 millimeter. Um, I think I started it when I was 23. And, and my whole thing is I wanted to uh, uh, direct my first film by the time I was 26. And, um, and so for three years, it looked like, like that was going to happen. 
And also, if you're doing a movie like that where it's like uh, uh, you know you're raising the money through a, a minimum wage job and you get together, you know, every three months to shoot all weekend yes. long to get some more footage on it, uh, and you, you do this for three years, it's not just this movie you're doing. Yes. You're defined by it. It's your entire life. Yes. All right. I mean, uh, 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 everybody who uh, you know knows you're making this movie. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, uh, you talk about it to even people you just meet because this is the biggest thing in your life, and you're doing it. They, they know you're not just some schlub working at a video store. And then it ends up being guitar picks. It's not what you thought. Um, and then, like, you look back on the footage and you're like, oh, uh, uh, um, and yeah, um, the fact that I didn't quit yes. is the single most proudest moment of character that I think I, 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 uh, uh, I'm just, I'm just proud for the simple, also because everybody I knew would have quit. Yeah. I mean, there's there's not there's not anybody I knew at that time after donating three years to their life and not having it, be and from good. being six years old and writing cast lists and saying I'm yeah. a director. So and then, you know, and it even would make sense to quit because it's like you know you have these things in your head, then you try to do it and it doesn't come it doesn't come across, and or and it's not as good as you wanted it to be, and and you just think, well, I guess, I guess maybe I don't have it. I guess I don't That's have the it. Question, yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, Robert Rodriguez would talk about that. He would say that um, he had been making movies on like home video because his dad had like home video machines, like you know, ten years before everybody else had it. So he's making movies with his uh, his brothers and sisters and stuff. These three stooges kind of like things. And then uh, you know, so he had done that like for years. And then he goes to film school, right? And then he goes in film school, and then he sees some guy or girl spend like. A lot of their parents' money to make their first film, and uh, and it doesn't really come across. And they think, well, I guess I just don't have it. Because no, you didn't give yourself enough of a chance. I mean, it's really hard to do this. It's, but when someone else tells you that, it's one thing. But you yeah. knew your movie sucked for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you knew you put everything, all your knowledge, everything you had, mm -hmm. all your money, yeah, all your personal status. Yes, my identity. Your whole identity, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a failure by any definition. Yeah. So what do you say to yourself? What make you? How do you go? Just what happens that you go from that to writing NBK, True Romance, selling them, becoming Quentin Tarantino? Well, the thing about it is, I've always been pretty optimistic. I've always been an optimistic guy, you know. And and even when I was in my twenties, when I started noticing people were more negative pairs I just kind of divorced them I got rid uh, of them I didn't want to be around people who hated everything and I, I was positivity all right? yeah. and uh, I was very positive and so I'm not the kind of I, I'm always the person in despair or defeat that looks for the bright side yeah and um, so I, I, I gave myself it's funny you said two weeks I gave myself about two weeks to feel sorry for myself. And so I, I felt bad and gave myself two weeks to feel sorry for myself and I spent three years for nothing. Then, after I gave myself a small amount of time to do that just by myself, I didn't talk to anybody else about it. Then I started looking for uh, uh, um, the bright side. And the bright side what was, it? was this, was okay, 
Did I, was I making Stranger Than Paradise? No, I wasn't. I was, this is not gonna be Stranger Than Paradise. So fuck that, okay? In fact, this is not even gonna be a finished film. Uh, it, it killed me to get it to this far. It's not really worth taking it another year and a half. Right. I don't even know who I'd get to cut the fucking negative. All right. Uh, um, but, well, of course, the stuff I did in the first year sucks. I really truly didn't know what I was doing. I was learning on camera. But the reality is, uh, the stuff I did in the three years. So the stuff I did in the last year was drastically better. You reckon after after the depression of the two, yeah, you realize yeah. that. Well, I, I could. Uh, well, it, it's the only scenes that work. All right, you know, was the stuff I done in the last year, and that was me learning. Me, uh, me, kind of learning how to juggle the coverage. Me learning how to pace the scene. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, just me having a sense of everything. Uh, me becoming a director, and so I go, okay, well, so I did get better. Yes, and I kind of know what I'm doing now a little bit. Well, I definitely know what I'm doing now more than I did three years ago, that's for sure. And the proof is in the pudding. It's right there. So, um, maybe this 3000 or $4,000 I spent over the last three years is not going to deliver a finished movie, but it kind of worked as a film school. I taught myself how to make a movie. And and I know now I don't want to make another uh, um shoestring situation like this let me write a real movie script and let me try to get real money to make it not big budget money but like you know like eight hundred thousand or something but a real movie with trucks yeah right? <laughs> i understand that and uh, and that i'm not paying for <laughs> that somebody else is paying for um so let me start working on uh, on a on a on a real script for a real feature, not just put together like b bits and pieces that add up to a feature. And I don't want to do it this way anymore, but just treat this as a film school. And then what'd you write? True Romance. That was True Romance. Yeah, yeah. Yet you decided to let Tony. You decided to sell it. Well, I, but not then. I mean, I I tried for five years to get True Romance made, and nobody wanted it. You know, uh, um, and then. Uh, Three years into that, uh, me and Roger Avery tried to get it going. We couldn't. Um, go figure. All right. Uh, uh, then three years into that, I wrote Natural Born Killers. And then me and a guy named Rand Vossler tried to get that going, and, and, and we couldn't. This and, is so important for people to hear. Understand, he wrote yeah. Natural Born Killers and True Romance. Mm. And by the and way, they were rejected. And at any look, at any point, I would have at a certain at a certain point, uh, three years into it, I because I had no money, I would have actually happily optioned the script to somebody else sure. just to get some money. I mean, nobody right. wanted it. They they didn't want. They it. didn't want them. It wasn't just to let you make them. Yeah, they didn't want to buy it. They didn't want it. And then, um, uh. What happened was... Did you I, feel like failure? Sorry, but did you feel like a failure? Well, no, because I was just so on the outskirts of the industry. And what am I, expecting to get a movie going right so away? So that was... You just were like, did you know they were good? Oh, yeah, no, I absolutely... Look, I knew they were good. I knew they were absolutely good. But I also knew that they were different from all the other scripts out there. Yeah. So, so I, I also knew, look, it wasn't like the head of development at New Line was reading them. I mean, it was just fucking readers. And as far as they were concerned, I didn't know what I was doing because I wasn't following the format. Yes. This is... So, look, I got to be respectful of your time. We're, we're and, like out And the format the back time, then like, was much more important than it is now. I think I helped make 
screenplay format more lucid and more uh, 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 more malleable. But back, but in like 1988, 89, if you weren't doing it the way everybody else was doing it, you were doing it wrong because you obviously were incompetent. Am there, I wrong about that? There is so much. No, you're. I mean, obviously, I said Natural Born Kills is the first screenplay I read, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, clearly it had a this gigantic influence on us and our whole generation. Yeah, okay, but okay, that that's script screenwriting. Okay, that script, for example, okay, it has a forty-page documentary yeah, inside in, yeah, of it, of written cut for cut. <laughs> yes, yes. Who the fuck makes a documentary on the page? <laughs> Right, but the fact is you were so far ahead of the thing or mm-hmm. just to the left of it yeah, uh-huh. that the industry wouldn't pay attention, yet you wrote Fade In on the fucking next one. Yeah, yeah. Like you didn't stop somehow. Well, by that point in time, I actually had a voice. I realized I had had a voice and I was capturing it. And those, even those other things were just like little scenes, but like, you know, True Romance absolutely had a voice. You could tell I wrote it. You could absolutely tell I wrote it. And the Natural Born Killers, oh, I had the same voice. It's right there. And so like, holy shit, I'm... I'm 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 finding this. This is not just me writing some wannabe Brian De Palma thriller. No, I have found my voice. Well, that's just perfect because you did. I would say this. Yes, you found your voice. Nice job. <laughs> you found your voice and uh, thousands and thousands of people have tried to write in that voice um, and uh, have, have failed. Uh, and uh, eventually, I think in the beginning, I definitely was writing in that voice. I hope I broke through to find my own. You uh, absolutely so, did. You guys absolutely did. Thank you. And, like, and literally, and literally and, and billions every week for five years proves it. Thank you. And thank you for like, again, for that. Thank you for all the gifts that, that you've, you've given me, Quentin. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Stacey Scherer for putting us back together to do this. But mm-hmm. another time that we talk, I'll tell on, on, on Mike, I wrote about it. We linked it. But you read me the first 15 pages of Kill Bill on an airplane one night. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And um, it was really an, an incredible experience and so inspiring. And um, just the impact your, your work has had on me is um, really indescribable. So uh, thanks. The new novel is fantastic. I can't wait to see the next film. You can't really let it be your last film. We'll see. That, that's the don't, idea. You don't have to land definitively that that's your last film, do you? Kind of. You know, like, you know, when I become an old man, if I want to do something different, maybe. But but, but the idea of, of uh, you know, I, uh, I don't want to lose my champ. I don't want to lose my title to Leon Spinks. Right. <laughs> there's fair, a, there's fair. a time to we'll walk away sports, from the ring. <laughs> a sports reference. A sports We're reference. We're going to end this on... I don't, make, I don't make that many of them, We're but gonna I, end I do, this they land. Quentin Tarantino <laughs> making a sports reference. Uh, you can't find Quentin on social media. Don't try. Um, uh, on Twitter, at Brian Koppelman. If you do, it ain't me. Right. It's not him. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time. See you at the movies. <laughs>